I read that and I said, oh, hell yeah. I want to be able to do that for every employer. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining the Solving Healthcare podcast, where we challenge the status quo by promoting innovative companies that help to positively disrupt the healthcare industry. Our guest today is Cheryl Kelland. Kelland, yep. Kelland, I said it right? Yes, you did. All right. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. I want to read a, just a brief bio and then get into what I, what I would consider the meat and potatoes of your company. Absolutely. So Cheryl is a concept to product expert who has delivered more than $750 million in revenue from version one hardware, software, and internet po- products at both startups and marquee brands. She grew her last startup, BS Sport, from a $400,000 Kickstarter to the number one rated fitness wearable on Amazon. Cheryl has an MBA from MIT Sloan and an undergraduate degree from the University of Chicago. If that isn't enough, she's also an ultra runner, an Ironman, and a mom of four. <laughs> Wait, there's more, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's already enough. But Cheryl, it also says in your bio that you wake up every day to build the health plan that can fix America. Just to take a step back, you on the, on the wearable side, that's the fun side of healthcare. That's pretty much folks that are either already in good shape or have some element of want to get in shape. Um, and I'm sure it's more than that, but, but tell me how you went from a fitness wearable to now uh, the company that, that you operate. Right, because it's a pretty big jump going from making consumer electronics in China to managing employers' self-insured health plans. Yeah, some, it's the fun yep. side of what we do. I mean, that's the stuff that's it's not easy to sell, but it, it's easy to deal with customers and customer complaints in the wearable side of the house relative to somebody who's dealing with end-of-life situations on the plan sponsor side. Well, you know, it's interesting because on the plan sponsor side, it's not even the tough healthcare situations because, you know, every group will have a few of those, mm-hmm. but every group has 100% of their members struggling with the financial impacts of even being healthy and the cost of health insurance. And there's such an opportunity to fundamentally change the trajectory of a family's financial future by enabling their employers to provide, you know, cheesy as it sounds, better benefits for less money. What's amazing, I'm sure you've seen the slide where if you look at the, there was a, a study done, I think it was by the Kaiser Foundation, where they showed the average decrease in disposable income by middle class families. And the fact that people had to give up things like uh, just basic u- utilities, groceries to cover healthcare costs. And so I talk a little bit more about uh, why your company was founded. Absolutely. So the spark for apostrophe, and this sounds like a little bit of a silly story, but The spark for apostrophe happened when I read about Rosen Hotels. Hmm. And I'm sure you've, you know, a lot of your readers have read that case study, but it was a hotel hotel company in Florida. The founder wanted to provide health benefits to his employees, but that was really expensive to do, right? His employees were waitstaff and yard service and housekeeping. A lot of them were older and unhealthy. A lot of first-generation immigrants from the Caribbean So like any smart employer, he self-insured, but then he also developed his own health plan around it Mm -hmm. and doing some really common sense things. He was able to improve the health of his employees, increase his retention rate to four times the industry average because his health benefits were so good, 
improved guest satisfaction at his hotels, again, because his employees were healthier and happier. And in the process of doing this, he did it at such a cost savings because he was able to cut so much waste out of the system that Rosen Hotel now funds free college tuition for all their employees and their children and builds preschools in the communities where their employees live. I read that and I said, oh, hell yeah. I want to be able to do that for every employer. Because to me, it was the employer, the midsize employers that need that the most, both to retain talent and to take care of their people. So I assembled an amazing team with deep technical experience and deep healthcare chops. We set about doing just that. Our day one, we were working with, we had a client of 26 rural school districts who brought us on board for a little bit of money to overlay their existing health plan because their costs were going through the roof. Fix our cost problem, build out your platform underneath us as you go. And that will, that's what we've done. So I guess that, that springboards into the foundation of your company. Obviously, it's the, the three tenets are simplicity, transparency, and love. And uh, love. Which is, I mean, if you go to any traditional health insurance company and look at their mission statement, there is obviously a, always a close that says, and we must reward our, our stockholders or, some, or something like that. And so this is a completely yeah. different view <laughs> of how you provide healthcare. Uh, within the context of service, you have providers, employees and members, employers, mm-hmm. pharmacy benefit managers. So how do you work with providers and why is that, how is that different than uh, a traditional health insurance company? Yep. Let me take it. Let me take a step back to explain that because you'll understand the framework that we deal with providers in. Sure. Um, so our model is, you know, I mentioned Rosen Hotels. Well, right. Rosen Hotels isn't the only company that has cracked the code on healthcare. Um, actually, you know, the largest, most innovative self-insured employers, folks like Walmart and Lowe's and Boeing, they've all figured out how to significantly cut the cost of providing health care to their employees while providing their employees with better benefits and a better healthcare experience. So essentially what we're doing is taking those kind of those big innovative self-insured employers, their best practices and putting them into a platform that's plug and play for employers of any size. And the thing those big employers do, like the first thing they do is they purchase healthcare differently. Mm-hmm. They don't buy healthcare through the big national provider contracts provided like by Blue Cross or United or Cigna. They purchase healthcare directly. They do this through a combination of reference-based reimbursement, direct contracting. They know how to take care of advantage of cash pay pricing. Well, what we do the same thing because what we found is that, you know, in a local community, any individual employer, I mean, you don't have to be as big as Boeing or Walmart to have a significant amount of impact in your community. We allow regular everyday employers to take advantage of these same direct purchasing platforms. So uh, for the, for the audience fundamental model that isn't familiar, can you just give a real quick summation of, of what does reference-based pricing mean in your, in your world and uh, same thing with direct contracting? Yep. Yep. So reference-based pricing means that we reimburse the provider at a fair multiple of Medicare. Medicare is the most amazing thing. It's like open source pricing and cost information 
from every provider in the country for every service they provide, essentially. And Medicare is built off of the provider's actual cost plus a non-trivial profit margin. We pay providers at a multiple of Medicare, whether it's 150% or 200% or whatever's fair rate in an individual market. That's one way we pay providers. Um, We can also pay them through direct contract. So providers with higher quality um, who are easier to work with, we will put a direct contracting arrangement in place, sometimes for a bundled price for a whole service. Mm-hmm. And we are also available to take advantage of cash pay rates because any, any healthcare geek out there will know or any family on a high deductible plan will know that sometimes the best rates for services is if you just play cash. And so when that's the best rate, we pay that best rate. Uh, and that's totally contrary to any traditional health payer. Uh, normally, it's a contracted yeah. rate uh, with some creativity for out-of-network pricing, but um, you, you essentially have, what was it, four or five different repayment options. Is that, is that correct? Yes. And there's, there's, a, there's a thing we add on top of that that makes it work even better. We pay providers differently. No matter which way we pay them right. to seek the lowest unit cost, we still pay them differently. Just this, like every other administrator, we'll pay them the plan portion of their bill, right? Because when a provider bills you for services, part of it's paid by your health plan and part of it comes from your out-of-pocket. Right. When we go to pay the, the healthcare provider, we'll pay them the plan portion of the bill and we'll pay them the member portion of the bill, which means we've taken a whole community of providers out of the business of patient collections. And this is, this is the key, right? Because right now for most healthcare providers, they're paying 30 cents for every dollar they collect because it's hard for them to collect from patients. It's hard for them to work with big insurance companies and all the, the bills and the rules and everything back and forth. You know, you started out this question to say, what, will, what do we do for the provider community? We are the easiest payer in the market to work with. Yeah, because so- we don't ask for all that administrative overhead and we take patient collections off their plate. In exchange, we get the best rates. Yeah, so what I'm hearing you say is you can, you can go back to the provider and say, in certain situations, you might make a little bit more as a primary care doctor or specialist um, than what you're getting from a from a traditional Blue Cross or or United Healthcare relationship. But then also you don't have to chase debt, which you're absolutely right. That's 30% of most what I would say most hospital or outpatient provider challenges that they are chasing debt. So in your experience, does that does that endear you more? What I would just say more expensive providers understanding that they might be taking a haircut on the reimbursement side. I'm going to answer that question first two ways. First, yes, it definitely endears us to providers once they understand how we work because it takes a huge burden off their plate and it just makes sense. But I want to, I want to point out, you know, you focused on providers and physicians and primary care physicians. Mm-hmm. Typically, when we go into market, we actually pay the individual doctors more than the big health plan contracts are paying them. Right. You're talking primary care specialists, right? Exactly. I mean, I'll pay primary care more money all day because that's the kind of care people need. Where our model really saves money is from the overinflated prices that you get on outpatient facility fees at the hospital or diagnostic imaging. Um, Those big ticket, schedulable, elective kind kind of procedures. That's where the big savings comes with our model. 
What is a mm-hmm. typical savings range that you provide to employers? So we have seen unit cost savings anywhere between 15% and, you know, remote rural areas where there's just not a lot of care options or care options are a lot a farther drive to, you know, easily 25, 25, 30% okay. in areas where there's care options nearby. And, and those are just, you know, unit cost savings. That's not even allotting for better quality care and longer term benefits of better preventative care. Those are just immediate out the gate. And then in terms of like uh, the love you have, the, the love that customers have for you all, uh, what is it, what have you guys lost a lot of a lot of clients? We've we've had zero attrition in our client base. Wow, that's amazing. And can you say that fact, aloud? We now have we have zero attrition amongst <laughs> our employers, and in fact, we have employers bringing us in to do roundtables in communities to the other employers in that community. Wow. Because they understand how it can fundamentally change trajectories for their employees and their towns by just being smarter about healthcare and using their local power to make it a fair playing field for both them and the providers in their community. Wow, that's amazing. That that is a testament. Isn't that fun? Right? Yeah. It's so fun. I mean, it's it'll blow your mind to see. It's sort of a it's a hope we had for the business, and to see it happen so early in our our life cycle is amazing. And to the, you know, to the right CEO, this is their way to give back to their community is to open up their eyes to stewardship and healthcare. I do have one question regarding the provider part. A doctor's office gets a card that they've never seen before, or they're not really sure. I know exactly what you're going to ask. Let's be clear. Our card does not say blue cross and blue shield on it. So if you were to call up your doctor today and say, do you take apostrophe? They're going to say, I never heard of that. This is, this is a friction point we face every time we enter a new market. Mm -hmm. Um, What we tell our members is if your doctors expect your doctor to say, they've never heard of apostrophe, they don't take it. And then have them call us. We will explain on the phone that we are a self-funded employer plan. We will explain to them how we pay. 95% of them will say great and treat us like any other name on your you know, member ID card. For the 5% that are a little wary, my entire member care team is authorized to pay for office visits over the phone with a credit card. So wow. we will pay for your visit advance and get you in. So we deal with that problem head on. And you know what? After we pay over the phone by credit card that first time, you won't have, you usually don't have any problems at that office again. And if you do, guess what? Get them back on the phone with us. We'll pay for your visit. And if for some reason your doctor's office will not take a credit card payment over the phone from apostrophe, I really think you better question if that doctor cares about you as a patient. My experience is it's, it's, it's not the doctor making the decision. It's, it's generally the person that has to process the, the various yeah. insurance companies and they just have never seen it before and they don't understand it. So rather than seeking to understand, they, they might push back a little yep. bit, but, but I also yep. know that your, your team is aptly ready 
to passionately pursue a relationship with that doctor's office as well. And it, I guess it falls under the transparency and the love part of what you do. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've had some doctor's offices that'll take that payment, but the person will say, gosh, just to set you up in our system, I need a signed contract or pricing agreement. So now my member care team can fax out one page signed pricing agreements with pretty much just as apostrophe on behalf of this employer will pay the bills and then they're happy. <laughs> so we've really gone out of our way to work with all the strange idiosyncrasies of the provider ecosystem to make sure our members get in for care. That was a great question. But within your model, you also have what's called smart shopper options, right? Yeah, let's talk about that because the model isn't just about direct purchasing. We are combining that direct purchasing model with two other things. The first is our high-touch member care, like concierge-level service. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while we do lots of things to show lots of love and give our members, you know, lots of of attention, the real core value of our member care team is to help direct our members who have high, high, high stress, high touch, high cost procedures, get the best cost and quality care available to them. And we guide them through that process and let them know the, the quality and cost of all their options in the market before they get a procedure. And then while we always leave the choice of where to go and what provider or facility to use, while we always leave that choice up to the member, if the member makes the right choice and chooses the best quality at the best cost, we are able to waive the out-of-pocket expenses for them. So we make, we have smart shopper, we call it smart shoppers. Other people call it centers of excellence. But if the member chooses a smart shopper or centers of excellence um, place of service for their care, we'll waive their out-of-pocket. Oh, understood. But when I, when I think of a, yeah. center, a center of excellence, I'm thinking, yeah, a major knee replacement or a kidney transplant, yeah. something like that. You go much higher than that. So could you walk through, like, you know, what, what is the most basic thing you have within the, the smart shopper universe and then the most complex? Oh, yeah, we'll go a full gamut. So our smart shopper benefits, I mean, obviously it applies for those expensive elective, elective surgeries. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll apply to diagnostic imaging, like MRIs and CAT scans. Um, which are often incredibly expensive if you get them done at a hospital and very affordable if you get them done at a standalone facility where you pay cash. And we're talking a difference of, you know, $6,000 versus $300. We've also brought Smart Shopper incentives down to lab work. Again, we found you get your, you know, lab work done at the lab down the hall in the hospital because your primary care doctor is located in the hospital medical facility. You're going to pay $300 for that, that blood test. Whereas if you use our smart shopper incentives and, you know, go to a facility that we have a contract with or that we have a pickup from, you'll pay $30 for that same test. So, so we try to go through the full gamut of care from the real high touch stuff that doesn't happen that frequently to the stuff that happens every day. So what makes you different in your ability to for either intercept those or uh, catch those before the person actually walks down the hall like the doctor told them to? So um, a few different ways. For the big ticket procedures, anything over $500, we, our plan requires pre-authorization, um, just like any other health plan would, right? Your doctor's got to call in and make sure 
it's approved and going to be paid for. But and that's you, our trigger to reach out to the member and say, hey, did you know you had some other choices? But are you, are you requiring more things to be pre-authorized? Nope, not okay. anymore. Every, I think every employer we've come in with, we've set, you know, we've started out with the same thresholds they've already had in place with their previous plan. Okay. So you for the um for the more day-to-day stuff though, we just do employee education and we, you know, let them know if you call us, if you need blood work, if you call us, we'll direct you to the place where your out of pocket will be zero. You know, if you need to go to urgent care, actually if you call us, we can put you on the phone with virtual primary care or with telemedicine who might be able to handle your issue without you even, you know, leaving the house. Is so that- we'll do outbound education on those issues knowing that you guys spend a lot of time up front to educate your members, what is it, what is a typical uh, member experience or employer transition from, Hey, this is a great idea to feeling the love. Yeah. Um, Well, let's be clear. Switching, you know, health plan providers is a big, scary decision, even for the most innovative employers, right? Everyone, you know, your employees are used to having Blue Cross or Cigna on their card. And so sometimes it does feel scary. So we'll go in and we'll do, we'll develop a really detailed uh, rollout plan that we track online with the employer so they know what we need every step of the way so we can have a great day one experience with their employees with everyone having their benefits cards, you know, hooked up and ready to go. We will do on-site meetings at open enrollment to explain, not just explain the plan and how it works, but also talk about the why behind it. And we've been lucky enough to work with some really forward-thinking employers that'll explain, you know, why they're making this change to their employees and, you know, what it's going to do for the company and the employees on the cost side, how they've been able to increase benefits because they're working with us. Just talk about that partnership and a really an excited kind of promoting kind of way. And -hmm. then the third part of the onboarding process is we'll work hand in hand with employees and family members who are in the middle of serious long-term care. We've taken over plans, you know, a week after a senior VP has gotten a cancer diagnosis. We take over plans where, you know, several employees are about to have babies. We've taken over plans where, you know, people are just in the middle of serious treatments and we will spend the extra time with those members and proactively reach out to their entire care team to let them know the transition is happening so it goes really smooth. So we really wrap ourselves around the group before they go live. I just got an email about an hour before we were recording this conversation. And if you don't mind, I'd like to read it to you. Uh, Oh, please do. I saw this one just come through and it made me put a big smile on my face. It (laughs) says, you need to tell your boss and they need to tell their boss how amazing Megan has been. Megan's an apostrophe team member. So she's been on top of everything. We got our new insurance with y'all and I have a lot of medical problems and Megan has gone beyond what we would expect. It's people like you that make life easier for us. She makes my day every time I talk to her. I'm 56 years old and have dealt with a lot of insurance stuff and never had anyone help me like Megan. I wanted to make sure that Megan got props for this or her service, but then also it kind of leads into conversation about when you guys, as, as love is a foundation, I'm assuming you have a way to measure that within your company. We do. Um, so it's, it's so interesting. I'll tell you how we measure it, but um, it's so interesting when we roll out with a new employer because during open enrollment, we really emphasize the love piece. We say paying mm-hmm. us for anything, you know, there's someone there that will pick up the phone and, you know, spend all the time you need with you on it. And it's so funny because 
no one ever believes us. And so what we see is the minute we turn on, turn on a new group for the first two or three days, we'll get all of these inbound phone calls, almost as if they're trying to like call our bluff on it. Mm-hmm. And my team will answer the phone right away and you know, spend the time with them. And we get all the time, oh my gosh, you really answered the phone. We didn't think that was going to happen, right? So the employees are looking to prove us wrong and then being wildly surprised when we deliver as we say. Now, my member care team, most of them, we do not hire them out of traditional health plans and health insurance companies because people at those companies know how to work away. That's not the way we want to work. We're hiring our member care team out of high-end retail, luxury hospitality, concierge primary care offices, hmm. um, folks that want to, that really have empathy and want to spend the extra time to make someone who typically is in a really critical or scary situation, you know, make them feel listened to and heard and taken care of. We measure success of our team, not on call throughput or, you know, time to time to close out tickets and answer calls and like typical sort of high volume call center stats. We evaluate them on something called net promoter score. And after every interaction with a customer, we'll survey that customer and say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend apostrophe to a colleague? Right. Um, and only the nine and tens show up as promoters. And so we focus a lot on, you know, what drives those scores and what we have to do, not just the moment we're on the phone, but end to end through our service and our education and our provider outreach to make sure we're always getting really happy members who are not just happy, but would refer us. What is a typical net promoter score for you all? In the health insurance business, the typical net promoter score, I think, is negative 14. I looked up the average and it's seven. Wow, that's on a good day. Sometimes I've seen it's been negative 14. It's been terrible. Ours is, uh, ours is usually in the high 40s, high 50s, um, which is for me is great because remember, we're dealing with people at their moment of crisis. Yeah, understood. So they're never in a good state of mind. We can turn them around like that and we're always looking to improve that. Is the model intended to improve health literacy or is it more intended to help get people where they need to go? That is a really interesting question. First and foremost, it's intended to get people where they need to go. But over time, we have seen that it builds health literacy. Some employers that we've been working with for longer, their employees all of a sudden start to understand that quality makes a difference in a lot of healthcare. They start to understand that higher quality care is often lower priced than lower quality care. They start, you know, they start to understand that, you know, surgery isn't always the best answer. They, so they start to build a level of health literacy organically, but we don't require that they have to be trained on health literacy or that they actually have to know or remember anything to get the best experience on our plan. If there's one thing our members need to remember is, here's a posture's phone number, ping us for anything. Right. If you ever have a question or need a doctor or have a, some kind of diagnosis, call us first because we'll help you navigate the system. And if they can remember that, we can, we can shoulder the burden from there. I'm curious to know when you would say you have uh, the trust of your customers. What I've found is that once you have the trust, it's easier to have the next phone call and easier to uh, essentially guide co- folks to the care they need. 
bingo, you, you, you honed in on the most important thing. And that, that thing is the trust. And we make a really concerted effort in the first, you know, 30 for 60 days of a plan to be really proactive about building that trust. Um, it starts when the first members that sit through open enrollment decide to actually call us to see if we'll pick up the phone. We build trust there. Um, early on in the, in the life of the plan, you know, we'll do proactive outreach to folks that have, you know, are, are on expensive prescriptions or have, you know, some upcoming care to help them find lower cost prescriptions or recommend smart shopper incentives. So again, my team reaching out to get some early wins that will help build the trust. The whole model on how we encourage people to take advantage of smart shopper locations and to think about quality is built on trust. We never tell the member what they have to do. We explain their choices to them in really clear non-healthcare ways. We'll do it over the phone. We'll do it in writing. But we always leave the choice up to them. And that, I think, is at the foundation that builds that trust. Because all of a sudden, it's not the, you know, the weird health plan with the motives you don't understand telling you what you can and can't do. We do put it in the hands of the employees. And all of those things... All you got to do is get a few early wins with mm-hmm. an employer group and the chatter in the workplace spreads like wildfire about us. I, you know, I was just out, I was actually just out in Wisconsin with one of our um, employers and the story he told is he has an employee that makes $17 and 50 cents an hour. And for the last five years, she had spent $6,000 every year out of pocket on the prescription she's needed. They came on board with apostrophe. Someone on my team reached out with her and helped her get those prescriptions for $0 out of pocket. And she went to her employer in tears and gave him a hug and told him that she has never brought her family on a family vacation because all of their money went to her prescriptions. And this was the first year they were getting a family vacation. Wow. Think yeah. about how everyone at her work site feels about their new health plan now. We're not just trusted. We can be heroes. And so can, so can her employer. It's amazing. I typically ask the question, what's your why? Hearing you say that, I get goosebumps because part of my mission is to right. do is to provide access to the same thing. It is yep. to essentially help the folks that need us the most to get the care they need. Yep. Through your story, I, I, I know that's your answer. It's not so much about, yep. I mean, obviously you want to be able to provide, provide advocacy and save a tremendous amount of money from an employer perspective breaking certain tenets of status quo. I'm certain that that story was why you get up every day and do what you do. Absolutely to the core. With that in mind, in terms of, because you talk about quality and being able to redirect folks to quality care. Yeah. How, do you, how do you assure them that you have quality data that's meaningful enough to not listen to their doctor that says, go down the hall, or I want you to go to this surgeon? So we use probably the best quality data out there. It's from a company, Quantrus CareCheck. It's from CMS. It's all risk adjusted. There's lots of algorithms that go Mm -hmm. into it. Why we really like it is that it doesn't just look at a facility or a physician, you know, overall, but it really breaks down their outcomes from um, one of 20 lines of clinical specialty. So the right person to remove your gallbladder might not be the right one to fix your knee. So we can get pretty specific on that quality information. It's interesting. A person has frequently has a strong relationship with their doctor and trust with their doctor. Mm -hmm. 
surgeon is typically someone they've heard of for the first time. So that conversation is oftentimes a little easier. Where our model excels the most is when we can work in partnership with primary care providers on the ground in the community, whether that's through direct primary care or nearsight clinic or just a, an aligned you know, primary care group in the community. And when, where that exists, we will try to do that as much as possible so we can operate in lockstep with our members, everyday doctors. So those referrals naturally go to the high quality places. And those referrals naturally talk about, hey, if you make this choice, it's $0 out of your pocket. So we try to earn that trust over time. And when we can partner on the ground with local doctors, we do that. My experience has been the sooner you can intercept an individual, uh, generally it's before they go to a surgeon and probably generally before they get the x-ray or the MRI, it's much easier to redirect care and reroute. Many times I would say you probably avoid some surgeries that may not be necessary. Um, I've I've heard statistics as much as 30 to 40% of most musculoskeletal services, the ones that had surgery didn't require it. So I'm curious, as your model evolves, walk us through how you would intercept or how are you planning to intercept or do you do it now? We, we are super proactive and we are intercepting at a number of points. I mean, for certain In certain areas, we've been in longer where we're very familiar with the provider community. We can intercept at the point of an eligibility check call in from the provider's office. Okay, I got it. So we will intercept as early as possible. We've got a great second opinion partner. And for bigger ticket items, especially spine surgeries, we will intercept early and and really um, encourage the member to go get a a second opinion from a national expert. I mean, it's no extra, you know, time or work on their part. And we've had great success with that. My company is based out of Colorado and we are the, you know, the spine, spine surgery capital of the world because all the spine surgeons like to live here. So that one in particular, we've got a lot of experience with. <laughs> well, so one of our very, actually one of our very first member calls in was a woman who was scheduled to get spine surgery in two days and was in a back brace and was told she'd be paralyzed. And at this point, we were serving as a service on top of her existing health plan. Um, And two days before her surgery, she was denied. And there she was in a back brace. No one is explaining her why. She was in tears. Mm. And she didn't know what to do. And she was in a lot of pain. Uh, We were able to convince her to get a second opinion from a national expert at Columbia University. That doctor who gave her her second opinion said, hey, there's actually a less invasive route. We should go first. And that doctor got on the phone with her physician out in rural Colorado, directed her care, and it's been three years. And that woman is healthy, happy, super mobile, throwing her grandbabies around and has never had to get her spine fused. It's it's having those touch points so that you could essentially say, hey, you, you don't have access to the great data that we have. And we're going to give you to essentially the, the number one person in not just surgery, but for your specific type uh, disorder, being able to sift through that and give her access to that resource is, uh, I'm assuming she probably sends you a letter every day, or at least you're on the Christmas card list. Absolutely. And she keeps her second opinion on her desk and she's been the biggest advocate for 
everyone at her employer and in her community of like, hey, no, trust them, do this. Yeah. It could change your life. I'm, I'm assuming you have a lot of, um, or you have so, several companies that kind of help you do what, we, what you do. You mentioned Quantros. You mentioned the second surgical opinion. I guess I have two questions. One, how often do you review to make sure you've got best practice or best performing mm-hmm. companies? And then as a, as a self-funded employer, how flexible are you in terms of integrating another uh, quality vendor mm-hmm. as long as it meets your, your requirements? So our process here is we'll review our current slate of vendors every six months, um, both to see what else is out in the market and to review for their efficacy with our members. Mm-hmm. And that efficacy is around, obviously, and, and patient outcomes, but it's also in their ability to technologically enable and make for a smooth, a smooth member experience throughout. I mean, at the end of the day, the member knows call apostrophe. We don't, we don't bombard them with having to know or think about all the, all the partners we work with behind the scene. We'll be their front end interface to it. But we need partners that both can work with us in a scalable way and can share our values. So we'll do that review every six months. And then when we get a new employer group on, we'll look through their members and their past claims data and see if they have a specific set of needs that maybe hasn't come up with another employer group before. And we'll use that as the the reason to go out and seek a new partner. And an example of that is, you know, we have a lot of members in rural areas right now. Um, And there's not a lot of primary care in rural areas. So pretty early on, we decided to integrate a virtual primary care partner into our platform. And it's all, you know, bundled into our cost and no cost, you know, directly to the member. But that's an example of where, hey, we've got a certain employer group that needs something different. Let's put a new service into our platform and it's now available to everyone. In terms of employers bringing their own services, you know, this is an interesting one because the kind of sort of bolting on of third-party services, whether it's, you know, for care management or steerage or telemedicine, that was a great way to go about things in the old model where you were you know, stuck with mediocre service from Cigna and you wanted to add extra benefits on. Um, it's not always the most productive way to work in our model because what, you know, what we ended up creating in that old world was the poor member was trying to navigate eight different services and they had to remember eight different things and they were supposed to remember them when they were sick and needed something the most. And that wasn't a great member model at all. So our model is to take care of those integrations and make sure the member just has to remember one thing, call apostrophe. Yeah, understood. And in, and in that model, uh, the handoff could be quite a challenge and where your folks are going to have to essentially right. a particular customer's particular setup. But it, it sounds like if they meet the criteria of adding value and, and they pass the sniff test, you're not opposed to bolting on an, an additional provider. Is that, is that a fair statement? Especially if that if that partner can provide a new service to yeah. our entire member base, then yeah. yeah, absolutely, we look at it. We look at it all the time. What a, that's got to be a refreshing way every six months to say, okay, what what can we do now to add value, right? Yep. And what's new on the horizon, and what's the best combination of things out there, and how do we make it as smooth as possible for the members so there isn't handoffs? And so the program honestly can be really integrated. Um, I mean, it gets sort of geeky, but if all of our partners 
have access to the data on our members, they can provide better services. So there's a big there's a big tech component going on behind the scenes to make sure that that's all seamless for the member. So what in terms of the other integration, you you all do not process pharmacy claims. Do you have a preference as to which pharmacy benefit manager you work with on any particular customer? We actually do. We know, you know, different benefits consultants, different clients may have different, you know, have have their own experience with pharmacy benefits. We strongly advocate for a pharmacy benefits manager that's both transparent and does pass through. We work most closely with Southern Scripts and with EHIM, and we try to steer all of our employers to one of those two companies, not just because of the way they work, but because of how tightly integrated we are with them and how we can make, how we can create a really, not just a seamless member experience, but a real joint, you know, joint effort of proactive outreach to members when we work with either of those two companies. Understood. So that's our preference. And again, but we continually review and evaluate those and, you know, we'll add, we'll add new partners to that list as we develop tighter integrations and tighter partnerships. But as I mentioned before, you know, that integration and partnership is going to be based on how that company does business, shared values, technology, you know, end outcomes and savings. So a a number of criteria. In terms of the, uh, your employer customers, my experience is that when you have an annual review or something like that, they're really more so what moments than what if. When, when you have a customer uh, and you're going through a renewal or, or a uh, strategy type of a meeting, um, what, what should they expect and how do you demonstrate your value to the employer? Here's how we've imp- approached regular meetings with the employer. In the first few months of the plan, we will do monthly updates on performance of the plan, how apostrophe is settling into the community, any place we see gaps in member education. Again, really focused on making the entire experience smooth and making the employer look like a hero with their members, but getting their members on board that, yes, this is something different. After that, we'll switch to quarterly reviews where we'll really shine as if we can partner closely with the benefits consultants. Mm-hmm. Right. The most enlightened, forward thinking benefits consultants can work with us and our data on those what if scenarios and on those recommendations we're making. Because we'll see trends in the plan early. We'll see here's an opportunity for new smart shoppers. Gosh, you've got members, you know, with a certain health condition. Here's some ways we can proactively address that. So we'll come to the table with recommendations. A lot of the first year, though, really centers around getting employees wrapped around the different, you know, just the difference of the plan, someone to reach out to, zero dollar benefits, things that they're not used to before and really get them educated on that. And then is it safe to say that, and, and I would, I, I prescribe this, but it, I, I don't know what to call it other than rounds in that in a traditional provider environment, when somebody's in the hospital, there will be some type of rounds where a provider panel will discuss a particular mm-hmm. case and they'll work on a, a mm-hmm. strategy for how to solve that. I, I presume you would have something like that on the quarterly meetings where if you have a high claimant and you've gone through mm-hmm. the your concierge model, you might need an employer to provide guidance on a path to choose. Is, is that fair to say? There are definitely cases where that happens. 
especially with experimental treatments or things of that nature. But when we, you know, when we do the quarterly review of the plans, we'll look both at specific cases, but then holistically as the population as, as a whole. What percent of your members are we that would be eligible for a smart shopper are we interacting with? What percent of those members are taking advantage of the smart shopper? You know, what can we do to increase education or increase that smart shopper benefit or work differently with a local provider to have more success with that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, wanted, I wanted to use a reference point with my, my wife as a perfect example. And I, 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 so my wife uh, goes to a hospital every month and gets an injection and it's about $18,000 a month. You know as well as I do that we can challenge the side of care. And I, I promise her and I promise mm-hmm. you that I can get that same service for $5,000 an injection. And rather than going to the hospital where there's sick people, yep. they'll come to us. And so when I talk about rounds and enabling that type of, of uh, solution, this goes through the medical plan. And so it doesn't go through a traditional specialty mm-hmm. management program. It kind of falls under the radar. Would you guys catch mm-hmm. that? We pull all the J codes, we switch them over to our PBM. And if we need someone that can do home health care to deliver the injection to the person's house or workplace, we absolutely do that. And that's huge. That's- we go through, I mean, yeah, when we, get, when we get a new group in, we'll go through their past claims data and their members and we'll triage the folks in high need care, especially in high cost care. And we will handhold them to a more convenient path, a higher quality path, and a lower cost path. Those are the great, those are the fun first early wins. Do you approach it with the same veracity every quarter or every year? Absolutely. Because to me, it's the, uh, the first, the, I think the, the mushroom cloud of learning is what happens when you first transition employers. But, but uh, it's understanding that my wife could pop up at any point in time. And uh, I personally want to help her employer yep help them navigate, but, but, uh, you know, as well as I do, that's, that's one person at a time, knowing that you guys have that built in. That's a, a huge value. Yeah. I mean, we're a data driven company. So that data pops out for us and we're a high touch concierge care driven mm-hmm. company. So it is built into our model to do that proactive outreach. We're staffed for it. We're built around it. And that's our promise, you know, to the employer. If we take over your health plan, I mean, we're stewards of one of the biggest line items on your budget and one of your most important assets, which is the well-being of your employees. We're, we're, we take that stewardship really seriously. I just I can't express how deeply it is built into our DNA as a company. So do you have any particular industries that you find you're best suited for? You know, we are getting a lot of early uptake in traditional industries in mid-sized cities. Um, These are places where local employers have more power with their local providers than they even know. Um, And they're industries that are a lot closer to their bottom line on their balance sheet and have a, I don't want to say paternalistic because I come from a female founded company, but a real, a real, maybe a maternalistic, a maternalistic yes. view of their employees. <laughs> right. We were, we were with a employer uh, the other day and he views it as stewardship of his employees. And he, I watched him apologize to his employees for not switching to apostrophe sooner because not only did he cost the company money, 
that could have been going to things like pay increases and, you know, 401k contributions, but he knew he cost his employees money out of pocket that they didn't need to spend. And he felt bad about it. Wow. That's the kind of, you know, forward, forward. It's funny because these forward thinking executives and these forward thinking CEOs are often in the most traditional of industries, right? This guy owned a, a chain of tire shops, right? We've got trucking, we've got manufacturing, we've got home health care, um, we've got lots of public schools, bread and butter kind of industries that really need something to change on their bottom line and really need to, something to change with their employees and like being heroes to their employees and feel, you know, they've got an obligation to their communities to do what they can to fix this problem. It, it's amazing when you see it all in action because we can change whole communities with this. And uh, I, I presume to have that level of ownership from the C-suite, um, that makes it personal. And uh, obviously it, it, uh, it, it wraps around the value that they provide, not only to their customers, but to the family that they have working for them every day. Um, oh, it's so true. How do you make money? How we make money is really simple. We charge $58 per employee per month. That is the only way we make money. All of the services on our platform are bundled in there. We pass through claims completely as they come into us at cost. Any refunds go back to the employer. There's no markups. We don't make, you know, kickbacks from our vendor partners. It's $58 a month per employee. That's it. Wow. Super transparent. So no creative shared savings programs that nobody can understand within your contract or get reporting on? No, and I'm going to say we started out doing a version of shared savings and it was based off of actual costs and actual stop loss thresholds. Yeah. But even that was like, yeah, you know what? Simplicity, transparency, and love. Let's make it simple. simple. Yeah, yeah. Let's make it transparent. Everyone knows that we have the love there to act as your stewards and have your best interest in mind. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah, and I knew that. Your prior model, actually, it, it had a very yeah. well-defined definition of, of savings. And I was referring more to the uh, self-funded contracts where you have an admin fee and an abundance of revenue generating oh programs within fill in the blank administrator yep. or carrier. So um, I was being sarcastic a little bit. But. I know you were. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, none of that funny <laughs> business with our stuff. Like it's life's too short for that. <laughs> Just quick, real quick. Is, is there a question yeah. that I haven't asked you or that you would say, uh, your the listeners should know when i started off i talked about how employers regular employers have more power in their local communities than they know and what we've seen with provider relationships particularly hospital relationships in those communities is that it's an evolution right those hospitals are used to having members see their doctors and then their doctors referring the members deeper into the hospital for high price procedures. And, you know, particularly $4,000 MRIs are the gateway to all of that. We are able to come in and we'll create smart shopper incentives for those members to go to a standalone facility, usually the same distance away from their house and pay, you know, had it cost the plan three or $400 for the MRI and we waive the out-of-pocket expense for the member. That is really attractive to members. What we've seen is by just doing that, we've steered enough 
MRI work away from some of our local hospitals that they have come back to us and said, hey, you know what? Let's talk about this again. We will offer you a lower rate for those services. We don't want that, those patients being scared away. We don't want to create that experience for them. But we understand we have to play fair with our local employers. So we give a little bit of leverage to the local employers to get their local hospital systems to play fair with them. I mean, that's really what you should expect. Both the employer and the hospital are operating in the same community. Everyone's got to come to the table with some with something. So okay. we've seen that play out in a few different communities already. And even as quickly as six months, they're like, oh, we want some of that business back. Okay, we'll give you a fair rate for it. Because at that fair rate, they're still making money. Yeah, and that's been a big, you know, eye-opening piece of this all. I'm really excited about what you're doing in the healthcare space. And uh, I know the wearable industry misses you, but it's just a blessing to have you, your vision, and the, the dedicated employees you have working on behalf of your customers. Well, we love teaming up with Forward Thinking Benefits Consultant, and it's an honor to have some of your clients uh, on our client list as well. And I can't wait to do more together. To learn more about Apostrophe Health, you can go to www.apostrophe.health. Thank you for listening to this episode of Solving Healthcare. My name is Mike Andrade, and it's been a pleasure to have the interview today of Ms. Cheryl Kalend, the CEO of Apostrophe Health. She brings with her a passion that uh, you can see by the way she talks and the way she lives her life. Uh, is something that if you if you would care to learn more about her business, please go to her website. If you'd like to learn more about Solving Healthcare, and about the next and future episodes, please go to www.solvinghealthcare.net and click on the subscribe area where you'll be, where you will be added to our subscription list and you can catch every episode as they're released. Thank you so much and have an awesome day.